since we've been doing this podcast, a bunch of people have reached out and said, you know, hey, here's my stuff, and you check it out. Some's good, some is not so good. But recently I came into contact with a guy that is doing a feature film a month for a year, so 12 features in one year. And I thought, okay, pretty ambitious, and I, I checked it out, and it is, they are all less than great. So I wanted to talk about what you should do if you make a feature and it isn't good. Is it beneficial to you to release it? Is it more of a harm to you? And everything associated with that. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to say. We, we live in such a fast-paced industry now. There are, I, I'd mm-hmm. say, like, it's not probably the best idea because you want to take your time with stuff like this but you know who knows maybe like one of the ten you make is actually good and it might actually do something for you mm-hmm. so I guess you have to weigh weigh the pros and cons before you decide to release one of them but there are a lot of factors you know you hire people and you have actors who probably want the film to be out there so their name could be on it so the, the responsibilities to to other people as well. What do you think the benefit to just doing something like that and mass releasing it all is? Well, you get a lot of attention in a very short span of time quickly, but mm. you have to hope that something out there, you know, in that pile of stuff you, you release has some sort of resonance with a, a person. Otherwise, you're just kind of making noise without really having any impact. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, like I said, it'll get you on someone's radar. Whether that's a good or a bad thing is the biggest question, and I think that eventually, that the only thing it can boil down to is quality. Like, if you're doing these and all of them are terrible, then you'll get on a radar, but that radar might be the this guy isn't very good at what he does Mm -hmm. kind of radar which at that point you have to ask yourself a question of is this worth it and then you know who knows maybe you make your 12 features hold on to them until you're done your 12th one you say okay feature 1 to 7 sucks and feature 9 to 12 sucks but feature 8 I've got something here and then maybe you just focus on that one and try and get that out there because even if you were to release 12 features and one of them was really good, I would at least hope that it would be the 12th one because then it would show that you're growing and whatnot and people that you would try and bring on future projects, you could be like, look, I did all these things. The last one's actually really good and I've learned from that. My next one's going to be even better compared to, you know, number seven was pretty good and then I made five shitty ones again after that. If there were short films, then I think that's like totally go for it because it's not, mm-hmm. it's not often people are are looking into your short films um, as a reference to like your stuff if you've made features that's what they're going to look at but if all you're doing is like quick like one-off feature films that happen you know within months of each other I think you've got to be a little careful because you could just be kind of spinning your wheels like it won't get you anywhere um, other than saying I've made some feature films, but yeah, 
that's you know it's not useful once they see the feature films uh, I wouldn't advise in in starting that way like I, I really think you've got to like think about what happens after because like say you have no audience and you're making like 10 feature films in like a year where are they going to go after are you going to send them to film festivals imagine like trying to pay for 10 feature films through the festival circuit that's ridiculously expensive yep big time yeah so there's got to be if it's just purely for the exercise of i just want to get better and you have no intention on and like putting anything out unless it's actually good you know i could maybe see like hey this is like your one year diy film school cool you're like gonna make a bunch of content and and try to get better in a year yeah i couldn't couldn't agree more but again like think about the people that you're working with are they gonna be on the same page i mean if everyone's like yeah we just all want to grow in this year and go hard okay but you know that, that might actually be beneficial to everyone you know the actors will get a lot of practice and get better by the end of it and you might become a better director and filmmaker but i i have a hard time thinking of of like seven people who are all like we're just gonna do a bunch of nothing for a whole year uh, <laughs> it, it seems a little little bit of like a a leap like a huge commitment to kind of do towards a very diminishing end goal yeah yeah i totally agree so i'm gonna pose one scenario i real quick and then i want to jump back to that idea where you talked about doing this but with short films because i think that's an entirely different thing if you were to do this with shorts it's yeah we'll jump back to it mm -hmm. um but i think that's a different ball game uh the one thing i wanted to say in terms of this, this idea of doing 12 features in a year or something to the equivalent of that i think you'd honestly be better off with your time instead of saying let's make 12 features in a year saying let's make one feature but let's take a year to shoot it and in the sense of um quentin tarantino with his first movie the one that he lost in the fire what was that called true romance do you know what i'm talking about oh like his first film that he ever tried to make yeah before reservoir dogs do you remember what that thing's called? Uh, I don't know. I just remember it's like this black and white film about some guy's birthday party or something. Yeah. yeah. So basically the story is Tarantino is like, oh, I'm going to make a feature. And he spent like three years shooting it. And he would shoot it for like a weekend whenever he would have some money, save up, shoot another weekend. And he did that for three years. And then he ended up losing all but 30 minutes of the footage because they were shooting on film film. Uh, he lost that all to a fire. But he's ended up saying that he was pretty glad that it was lost to the fire because it wasn't very good at the end of the day. And one thing he noticed going back and editing it and reshooting and reshooting was that all the stuff that was in the call final cut of the movie was the stuff he had shot later. So the stuff he shot for year one and two, that was him just with growing pains and learning how to do his thing. And by the time he got to year three, all that footage, he was like, okay, like I kind of feel like I know what I'm doing now and then he took all that knowledge and made Reservoir Dogs which is a completely different story. In my opinion I'd say you're better off to say let's shoot something if it doesn't work let's reshoot it or if you have a general idea of a story say you know I've got the first act let's shoot that let's throw that together and then in three months we'll write a second act based off what worked on the first act. I mean it's very unconventional I'm not saying everyone should do it that way 
but I think the idea of working on one thing for that entire duration, even if it was a short that you were to do for a year and constantly rewrite and switch and reshoot to make it better, I think you're going to benefit yourself a lot more doing that than you would just making 12 different features in a year. And one thing with that too is when you're doing this singular story like Tarantino did or like It's Always Sunny did, is you, you're working on this one thing and you get to hone that where if you do 12 features in a year, you're doing 12 different stories where you have to come up with different premises, different characters, which has its own benefit, but you're I think you're going to get more in the long run by refining one thing than going out there and doing 12 really, really, really half-assed features. Because let's be honest, if you make a feature in a month, you're cutting an insane amount of corners. So I think you'd be better off doing one thing for a year repeatedly and making it better and better than, you know, doing 12 new things that are all going to be very subpar. Yeah, I don't even understand how he's making that many features in a year because I, even making 12 short films in a year is way too excessive yeah that's a huge goal yeah. uh, honestly i would imagine it's got to be everything is ad-libbed you two are in the middle of a divorce and they film a conversation for 90 minutes and then they trim that down it's a feature like you can't even to write 12 features like decent features in a year would be You'd have huge ambition. That would be very, very high bar to clear. But to make 12 features is even crazier. Yeah. I'm very... God. Can you imagine? It's like... It actually all works. The guy's like, I've been writing these scripts for 20 years. Now, <laughs> now that I'm 50 and know everything about cinema. <laughs> okay, well... Let's just let's let's take that hypothetical real quick. What if that is the case? It's not because I've I've seen the guy and he's like twenty. Okay. But if this guy's like fifty, he's been studying filmmaking and screenwriting for thirty years. Mm -hmm. He's got twelve incredible scripts and he's going to make all of them in a year. Mm -hmm. How would you see that playing out? Well, uh, he'd probably just be the screenwriter, and then he'd get twelve directors to work on each film. Mm -hmm. and they're kind of scattered throughout the year it doesn't really matter because they're all different productions and he'll just like bounce around different sets mm. and then by but... the next within the next two years 12 films come out with his name on all of them <laughs> and you gotta be mega rich for that yes but I mean just hypothetically if he was the director as well how would you see that playing out he would you know he's got 30 <laughs> still like keep in mind the 30 years of honing the shit out of these scripts yeah. he knows what he's doing but he's making 12 features in a year. He's going to die in one year. That's why he's doing this. <laughs> yeah, he would just show up to set and he wouldn't worry about anything because everything's all planned out and he'd just work with the actors and then take off and go to the next set as soon as it's wrapped. I don't think he would sit and post or anything. He'd just trust the editors to put it together. Yeah, well, it'd be there, <laughs> there'd be no way that you could. I think notoriously one of the fastest filmmakers alive is Woody Allen. He does one movie a year. And, you know, love him or hate him, most people think that most of his movies are pretty good. And this is a guy that does... He's done this, what, 40 times now? <clears throat> so he knows how to do one movie a year. And that's, you know, 
pretty commonly agreed on. That's about as fast as you can do it. So to say Woody Allen can do one a year, I'm going to do 12. Like, I think you're in over your head. <laughs> well, Joe Swanberg goes pretty quick too. That guy. Yeah? How fast? Well, he shoots kind of in that way where you just kind of ad-lib a lot of stuff and it's very mumblecore. They freestyle most of the story. They just have, like, like, scenarios, and they just shoot and go. It's like a find-it-in-the-edit kind of movie? Uh, I think so. And I think he's made sometimes, like, four or five films in a year. Holy shit, really? Yeah. Are they good? Yeah, I mean, he's he's an established filmmaker. And uh, they're not, like, David Fincher good. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not, like, <laughs> these, like, gems, but they're... They're complete films, and you know he's had, he's got his own audience. It's very much like about the story and performance, laid back kind of filmmaking. It, it isn't like doing a bunch mm-hmm. of crazy shit. So, I th- I think people people like what he does, and he and he works really quickly too. So it's just a different kind of uh, filmmaking. But even him, uh, twelve is a little much. <laughs> Has he said how he does it? Like, I imagine it would be pretty along the lines of what you just described. There's no way he could sit and post. I imagine even pre-production would be probably very short or somewhat supervised by someone else before he came on and directed. And then post, he would just be like, here's my editor, you put it together, I'll see you in six months. Uh, I don't know what his actual process is, but he does a, he does a keynote at South by... Sucks you can watch it on YouTube when he kind of out goes through his his career, like how he started making like really small films to making like his first million dollar film, and he talks about like all the stuff they had to go through. So it might be an interesting thing for someone to listen to if they. Well, yeah, send that to me. I'd like to watch it, and I'll throw it in the show notes when this goes up. Yeah, it, it's an interesting keynote especially for independent filmmakers so real quick i wanted to ask you like the what do you think of that idea of how the tarantino and it's always sunny crew did it like work on one thing reshoot it if you need to build it that way uh depends on the filmmaker like i personally like i wouldn't want to shoot something and just keep going over it again like i think i'd drive myself crazy i'd probably spend totally fair most of my time in the writing process really nailing everything making sure I'm happy with it before I go to camera and then when you shoot you just finalize things before you uh, start the day and make sure you know what you're trying to get as opposed Mm -hmm. to kind of like experimenting and then figuring out what you can do the next day and and just trying it all over again like I don't think I would enjoy that myself but I, I don't think it's like a bad way to learn about filmmaking or a process yeah totally fair all right so now looping back because i think this is something very worth talking about this whole concept but in short form so shorts instead of features i to me that's an entirely different conversation what do you think yeah making a bunch of shorts in a year I think is a good idea for anyone. It would just be a really... Well, depending on the number, though. You know, if you tried to make, like, four, five 
short films in a year. Mm -hmm. That's that's a pretty big amount. And it's a lot of work. I agree. Um, if if you really go through the process and try to make some really solid solid work, four or five films in a year um, for short films, say they're about like 10, 15 minutes. That's that's a lot of work, and I think it's pretty good, because each film is going to mm -hmm. have its completely own world and a set of different crew and people maybe as well. But I, I'd say that'd be a good number to to attempt if you had the time to do it. Because what that does is yeah, it gives you a bunch of stuff to, you know, put out there and, and build an audience. Maybe you could run through the festival circuit with a bunch of different short films. It might be a nice way to, like, try out different festivals and, and see, like, where your work lands best. Um, other than that, I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, like you said, four or five... and. Uh, I'm probably not the best guy to ask this because I've never directed a short before, <laughs> but um, I do think that going that way with shorts would be beneficial. Like you said, it, it helps you hone your craft. It's a lot less pressure than making 12 features in a year. Even I would, well, what would you think? Is it less work to do, say, five shorts in a year than it is to make a feature? Yeah, depends on the runtime. If they're all, if it all comes up to the same length, then it actually might be even more work, mm -hmm. just because you're going to be spending a lot of time, um, kind of finessing the post process, and that could take a while. So it could end up being about the same. But if you're, you know, making like three-minute short films, that that could probably be a lot easier on you. I think one big advantage you have, too, is, I'm going to say this kind of loosely, is people, for lack of a better term, take shorts kind of less seriously than features in the sense of if you make, like Richard Linklater made hundreds of shorts before he made his first feature, mm -hmm. and that's a good thing, but I bet you it came down to when he made his, call it, last short that no one really cared about the other shorts previous to that. It was, oh, this last short's really good. And then you use that to go make your feature, where if you make 12 features in one year, people are like, man, this guy's made a lot of features. None of them are overly good. And then it kind of is more negative on you in terms of when you make a bunch of shorts. It's like, oh, man, this guy's been making shorts. Like, he's been building his craft. You can watch 30 seconds of the first one, 30 seconds of the last one, see how far he's come. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, and another thing that we've talked about on the show as well is if you're making all these features, you're going to be excluded from a bunch of, like, grants and government funding and whatnot compared to if you made a bunch of shorts and then you're like, I'm ready to make my first feature. You're still... You can apply to all these things. You're not exempt from them because you've went out and made 10, 12 arguably terrible features. So I think there's a lot to be said for going the short film route and, you know, just refining your craft that way instead of trying to pump out features that are rushed. And realistically, like, if you're trying to do even two features a year, they're going to be rushed in the story sense. They're not really going to be complete unless you happen to stumble upon some mumblecore magic like you were mentioning before. Yeah, that's true. If someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, basically all I really want to do is I want 
to really learn filmmaking, like I haven't done much of it, maybe they've made a short, um, I really want to learn filmmaking, I want to refine who I am as a filmmaker, should I jump out and try and do a feature or 12 features in a year, should I do a bunch of short films, should I just focus on screenwriting, what should I do, what would you tell that person? Mm -hmm. Definitely focus on writing. If you try to make a film without knowing what you're trying to say, by the end of the process you're going to be extremely disappointed because you're not going to believe in the film. You're not going to know what the point of all of it was. But once you've got an idea that you really believe in and then you develop that idea to the point where you feel confident in what the film is doing and if it's reflecting your voice and then you go and try to make that film, you're going to have so much more... Um, meaning behind what you do but if you just have like some sort of idea that might sound okay or something that's a little gimmicky but could be a film and you decide to jump on that uh ultimately i think you'll come to regret it i think the first feature for any filmmakers is kind of a really important step and it kind of shows the world who you really are what you're trying to say so when you don't take the time to to think about what that what that first impression is it's going to have an effect on you and on your career yeah yeah i totally agree um so one little you know call it cherry on top for this that i think's worth talking about is the idea of if you've gone and made this feature and you realize hey this isn't exactly what i want or it's not that good something along those lines should you release it or not? And like you mentioned, you do have an obligation to the people that have worked on it, but is publicly releasing it the best thing? So obviously my mind immediately goes to party stories. And from the way I feel about party stories is it's not terrible by any stretch of it. There's parts of it that I would actually say I really, really enjoy and I think we pulled off really well. But overall, as a whole, it doesn't really add up to something that is easy to release. First off, it the running time is 60 minutes, which puts us in a really, really strange bubble where some people will would consider it a short, some people would consider it a feature, and then some people would actually consider it neither, because some f festivals would say zero minutes to 45 minutes is a short, and then 75 minutes to, I don't know, two and a half hours is a feature. So technically we can't even submit to anything like that. So we fall in this weird territory of if we were to release it, is it a feature? Is it a short? Really, at the end of the day, my personal opinion, and we didn't make it to be 60 minutes. We It was a 93-page script that just happened to be 60 minutes. We, At least my mind was one page, one minute, which is what you always hear, and which I now know is bullshit. Um, so we've, like I said, we fall in this weird territory of we're kind of not a short, not a feature, not a pilot. We're this weird thing that it's just kind of there. And then thinking of releasing that to market it, to get it out in some way. It, it didn't have a festival run. It's many years old at this point, so distributors aren't really interested in it. What benefit do we have to public re publicly releasing it? So I think the benefit that the actors and the crew will get from it 
being able to say, I did a movie, here it is, check it out, will you rep me, use it as a, I've done this to get another acting gig or first AD gig or whatever it is. I think that our cast and crew already kind of have that because the movie's completed, it's online, but it's private, so not anyone can search it, but everyone in our cast and crew have it. So if they want to be able to show people, they definitely can. And it's not something that's behind a wall that none of them can get at. If they want to send it to an agent, go nuts. They want to send it to their family, I don't care, go nuts. Mm -hmm. And then, so in my mind, everyone that's going to want to see the movie once it's come out, being the people that were involved with it, the people that are close to the people that were involved with it, have already seen it. So to release it publicly now, to get what 10 additional views isn't going to help if we were to release it publicly and it were to go viral for some reason then that would really really help but i think at this point releasing it publicly without having a really good plan which i haven't been able to come up with yet is going to negatively impact us more than having it as this kind of i view it mostly as a kind of thesis film like it's the first foray into it and what we don't say largely being the first full feature um but i think at this point without having a really solid plan of how to release it it's not going to do us any good now based off all of that what do you think well i mean i think of like you know following or nolan's film mm -hmm. it's kind of in that similar length when you think about yeah i think his was like 75 or something like that yeah i mean it's still a weird running time that's not what normal yeah normally you'd expect so I, I think it just depends on the film i mean if you make if you make a film and it's got a weird running time and it doesn't really feel like it belongs in one category or, or another it's still something that if it works really well people will want to watch so you've got to take the work for what it is if it's something that you really believe in and you feel like it's strong then regardless of like where it fits into you can still do a lot with it and you should put it out there and, and get people to see it uh, especially if you've um, spent a lot of time working on this thing but you know if, if it's something that you made and you kind of know that it's not your work at, at at its highest quality at the at the time that you're putting it out there, then you might want to hold on to it and think about what the next project is. Because you know I've heard a lot of people in in similar scenarios. I mean, you think of Tarantino and that mm -hmm. you know that short film he sorry that feature he was trying to make. He decided not to put it out there, and then Nolan makes Following, and then he goes into film festivals and does pretty well with it. So it's just looking at the the work and deciding based on the actual piece whether it deserves to be out there or not. I think if you focus on all the ancillary stuff and you don't actually look at the, the work then you, you mm -hmm. might be thinking too much about stuff that isn't really important. You've got to kind of watch the film and know if it's something that should exist at, or, or not. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, it actually leads me to an interesting question. We talked a little bit about this before we started recording. And what would you say or what advice would you give to people 
for them, you're watching your first feature. You know, you're you're. It's not your first cut. You're at log picture. It's completed. You're watching your completed first feature. How do you look at it with objective eyes? Because there's a lot of people that look at it with very starry eyes. There's a lot of people that look with look at it with extremely overcritically critical eyes. So how do you look at something and say realistically, is this good enough for me to pursue? You know, going out there and this whole thing of trying to get the movie out after post. Because let me. I mean, one thing that you and I are learning is that this getting the movie out there is huge. It's just as call it strenuous as making the movie itself. So what advice would you give people on how to look at their movie and neutrally and say, is this good? Well, the best way to do it is to get get it in front of people that have never seen it before. I mean, the film festival submission process is, is one of the best ways to tell if people are responding to the movie. You send it to film festivals, it's, it's still private. You're sending something for one person to view at a film festival. If they like it, then that's a good sign. If a bunch of people are saying, we don't like your film, then that's an easy way <laughs> to tell. Uh, it's a very simple, could be somewhat expensive way to, to do it, but it's a, it's a sure way to find out if your film is making some sort of an impact. Yep, I totally agree. And an important thing too is like the festival thing, absolutely 100%. Like we got a very, very solid amount of rejections for what we don't say, but I think any movie is going to have a ton of those because you look at film festivals and they take what, like at most 50 features submissions. So your odds of getting into any festival are very low, but if you get into no festivals ever, then, you know, it's kind of people saying it, maybe it's not good enough and another thing too is if you have friends or filmmaking colleagues that will be honest with you and you show it to them and be like look dude don't sugarcoat this is it good and if they'll tell you the truth then that's a pretty good you know determining factor I would say what's the second topic I ask because I've legitimately forgotten uh, it's when you've got an idea for a film or like a premise for a movie and I guess it's just thinking oh, about yeah. how much you should develop it well not develop it how much you should invest in that that idea for the film you know say if you're doing a car chase movie how much of the car chase is gonna take up the majority of the film versus other parts I guess yeah definitely and just how far to take <coughs> concepts as well. Like how this initially started was I mentioned to you that I watched that Horse Girl movie. It's on Netflix. Anyone can watch it. Alison Brie is in it. She co-wrote it as well, I believe. Mm -hmm. And basically it's about this girl that either thinks or is being abducted by aliens. And it's kind of like a, is she crazy or is this actually happening? So there's like an alien, a mental... It, mental sickness aspect and there's a whole bunch of really weird shit going on mm -hmm. and I really dig that kind of stuff especially the alien abduction stuff I don't know why like anything's conspiracy theory I'm, I'm all in for I love that shit um, but watching the movie it was a good movie and everything but I thought they could have went further with their concepts like really lean into some of the 
the crazy stuff. Instead, they kind of felt like they just kind of paddled around in the shallow end with it, which, it, don't get me wrong, still good. I'm not knocking the movie, but it, I would have liked to have seen it gone even crazier and even further with the ideas. So I thought we could talk about how do you decide how far you go with an idea. So just with that concept, what do you think, Latif? Uh, I, I think you've got to build around any kind of concept for a film. I really think when you've got like kind of like a one-line explanation of a movie, but but you haven't really fleshed anything out, it becomes very worrisome because you'll get to like page ten and be like, "Uh oh, <laughs> I need other things." <laughs> It's a good starting point, but there's there's got to be a lot of infrastructure to really create something. Mm-hmm. So I guess like the <coughs> the first question you should ask yourself is how do you know when you have enough to start writing? Like you mentioned, if you have one one sentence, like um, Dwayne is going to buy a horse. Mm-hmm that probably isn't enough to go write a feature, <laughs> you know? So how do you know when you have enough, I won't, not written words, but solid ideas or concepts to go into the writing stage? Like, what's your way of breaking this down? Um, it's, for me, it starts with, like, character and scenarios. Like, who mm-hmm. who's the character you're following through the story, and then... From wherever you start, you know, Dwayne is your character, and his goal, mm-hmm. his goal through the film is to buy a horse. So that's kind of the basic premise. But now you've got to extrapolate and create the details. Why is Dwayne buying a horse worth even seeing? Like, why is it worth being a story? Maybe Dwayne mm-hmm. is super poor, and we're in the 18th century, and He's got to figure out how he can get money to buy a horse. That slightly makes it more interesting. And now we're mm-hmm. kind of invested in how the hell is Dwayne going to get a horse? Because Dwayne has <laughs> no legs. So Dwayne, this guy with no legs, now has to find enough money to get a horse. Which, in the place and time he's at, um, in Scotland, it's going to be freaking hard for Dwayne to do this. <laughs> So already with just a little bit of like brainstorming and putting Dwayne in a place and 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 maybe like figuring out what what's what's special about Dwayne, we've now created a bunch of hurdles that can become scenes and become uh, actual story points in in our, our sentence that just starts with Dwayne's gonna buy a horse. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a, a really interesting writing experiment to do it that way like take a mundane sentence and then extrapolate on it and see where you end up um do you ever do that for your movies i've never done it with mine mine always starts with more of a a concept than a call it a a goal uh i don't i don't specifically do that where i just have like a sentence and try to make it into a story but you know i've had scenarios where I'm having conversations with people and through a series of like thoughts that are bounced between me and someone else, like I kind of string together a story idea. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine who mentioned that 
you know, at some point he remembers going to a strip club by himself. And there are like four mm-hmm. other guys just sitting there. Um, but they weren't with each other. They're all just like dudes on their own at the strip club. And as he was telling me this, I was like, oh, that would be an interesting story where it all just takes place in a strip club and you just have these four characters and then you see the moments before they got to the strip club, what were each of them doing? You know, one of them was um, breaking up with his girlfriend and decided to go to the strip club afterwards. One of them is like sneaking out of, you know, home to get away from his family to go to the strip club. One of them is like depressed and has nothing to do and decides to spend his last 10 bucks at the strip club. Uh, all these like scenarios come out of nowhere, but it's just about stringing together character and setting and mm. potentially figuring out like how someone got there um, is initially how I put that together. So it, it can kind of come from little ideas, but I, I think it's just about figuring those kind of key things down. It, personally, I have a hard time thinking of any story idea without the idea of character. Uh, so if you just gave me like alien abduction movie, I would have a hard time trying to figure out what it's about without knowing who's in it. Uh, so if you have that as a premise and you, and you like run with it, but you haven't really figured out who's the main person and why should they be the main person? I think you, you might have a hard uh, time, like really solidifying the idea. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. Um, one thing for me that I always need to know before I start writing is um, what am I trying to say with it? Uh, so for instance, I can't wait until what we don't say is actually out there so we can use concrete examples for people that have seen it so we're not spoiling the movie. <laughs> right. But like with what we don't say, I knew, uh, we knew exactly what we wanted to say with it. Like here's the characters, here's the arc, here's what that arc says about them and about life and kind of to the audience right Mm -hmm. um party stories we even knew that probably to a little lesser degree but we definitely knew it and then everything i've written since i know what i'm trying to say you know whether or not it comes off perfectly especially in the first script that's what refining's for um and i find if i ever start to write without knowing what i'm trying to say then it just ends up being random loose ideas and they can't come together until I know the meaning of it. It almost feels like you're trying to build a wall. And if I don't know what I'm trying to say, then I just have bricks. But once I find out the message of the movie, then that's the the filler. That's a mortar that keeps everything together. Then I can start building this wall and it works. You know, when you write, is it a similar thing for you? Or do you find what you're trying to say comes through as you start writing? Yeah, more and more of the latter. I don't I don't try going into something with having like the message or like the theme of the film in my head. I find if I okay. try to write like that, everything I write will become very, very, uh, how do you say it? Like preachy? No, not preachy, but like inauthentic. Because like okay. e- even in life in, in general, like the, the things that we experience, I think oftentimes after something has happened is kind of when we look back at it and find some sort of meaning in it. Uh, but in the moment, it's very hard for someone to do that. 
um, you know, as you're going through a breakup, all you all you know is pain. But once the breakup is over and you've looked back at the whole experience, then you start to see things and, and take things out of that experience. So uh, in the writing process, I, I, I don't try to like, you know, this scene is about honor and then try to like inject that into everything. It's more like I try to write things in a way that feels immediate um, to me as I'm putting it onto the page and then in that things kind of link up and, and connect towards something but even on a personal level I know there are certain ideas that I'm trying to get through with the film but I don't think I ever have a moment of I'm trying to give a message or trying to tell the audience something through this movie um, I, I really like to have like kind of open loose endings where not a lot a lot is said so people can just kind of like extrapolate from there what they think is going on and how they feel one question I have like just bringing it back to how far to take concepts when you're doing that and I think it's super interesting that we have like different perspectives on this because I always write with an outline where you never do how do you know how far to take your concepts and ideas I think I'm going through that right now with something I'm writing you know, I've, I've gotten to like a, a point in the story that feels pretty significant and something kind of important has to happen. And I remember having all these like ideas and little notes that of things I wanted to incorporate into the scenes. And then as I get to the scene, I'm, I'm, I literally felt like stuck with like, how does this actually come together? Like, what do I want to see? And how far do I go with like, you know, some of the little jokes or the little moments that feel significant um, in story or setting or just something I found interesting that I wanted to include into the into the scene um, mm -hmm. it, I'm now finding that I have to like dial some things back and and just kind of focus more on what needs to happen in the moment and then there are other times where I can totally go off on a tangent and kind of indulge myself with a little bit of you know history that I find interesting that I can put into the film or something but it's very much a, when you're reading it you kind of know when it just kind of goes on a little too long or kind of like takes a turn in a weird direction that doesn't really seem to fit mm -hmm. so it's more intuitive than anything yeah like when when you read the scene that you've written that you're not quite sure of and then you read back a couple pages and then you try writing something ahead, you'll kind of know that piece in the middle doesn't quite work. I think it's just a part of the whole, you you kind of see whether it fits or not. One thing that I think is actually the most helpful for me in terms of how to, how far to push things is, that, I mean, when you start, you always have a, a general idea. You know, you're writing your first draft, it's, here's, sorry, for me, with writing the way I do, it's like, here's, the general story, this is in the outline, here's the general story, here's kind of what's going to happen in each scene, This and that kind of tells you, okay, you're pushing it this far. Like, if you... A good example, actually, have you ever watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah, I've seen a bunch of it. 
Okay, so, like, there's an ongoing question of, is Dennis Reynolds a murderer? Like, he's super creepy a lot of the time. He has these weird tools in his van. He's really into, like, strange murder things. And the, it's like, is he a murderer or not? And I think that's an interesting um, example of what we're talking about right now. So they had a question to ask themselves and it was a gradual question because it's a series and they built off of it but it's do we we're going to lean into this kind of murdery angle do we drop subtle hints do we drop big hints do we kind of catch him in the act which would be a little bit further than dropping big hints do we full-on show that he's murdering people what do we want the audience to know and that's how they that's the question they had to ask themselves how far do we push this um so one of the ways that it is actually most helpful for me is do the first draft, you'll have an idea, I want to push this this far, and then when you send it to other people for feedback, and you even take a step back, you know, don't look at it for a month, look at it a month later, through the notes that people send you, through the thoughts they have, and straight up through the thoughts that you'll have looking at it with new eyes, you'll maybe think, okay, I should pull back on this, or I should lean way further into this. This was the coolest part of this script. The rest of it kind of sucked. Let's get rid of the shitty stuff. Let's really lean forward into this. The rewriting process for me really helps me find out how far to push these things. Right. Um, so when you're rewriting movies, like even crazy for you, because that has uh, what I would consider to be a really, really interesting premise, did the amount that you pushed that premise change through rewrites or was it always kind of what it was from the first initial idea or draft most of it was pretty pretty similar through the drafts but i think the ending was the part that really changed quite a bit throughout the writing process i think with the end initially it kind of crescendoed into like this moment of like release which the more and more I went through it, the more I thought, this doesn't work at all. And I have to kind of push it in the opposite direction where it's almost like a really, really slow, long uh, stretching of time at the end. Um, and it doesn't do that thing where it, it intensifies and kind of like ends up in a, at a point. The way the film kind of ends, like it stretches slower and slower until you kind of just kind of stop and the film ends at that point. Um, but there's never like a, a hard stop uh, in terms of like the, the momentum. It just kind of gets really, really slow. It's almost like you're falling asleep. That was kind of the, the point of um, doing that at the end. Um, mm -hmm. But I found that through writing over and over again and trying to figure out like what is the what is the direction I want to go, go in. And... Um, I guess that has less to do with like how far to go with the idea, but more of just finding what direction you want to go in. But I, I think it's still relevant. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think direction and how far you lean into an idea aren't while they're not the same thing. They are they're parallel, and you have to do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. I mean, one example I can think of is, um, for example, like Forrest Gump. Um, it's a mm -hmm. it's a really long movie. And there's oh, yeah. so many different things that happen throughout the film, um, but I think like I think of all the all the things that that happens through 
the timeline. Um, they all have to do with the relationships. So everything that he kind of goes through or everything that he does has to do with the relationship he has either with his mom, with uh, his friend Bubba from the military, his relationship. I love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> his relationship <laughs> with the army and his relationship with Jenny. So, And ultimately at the end, the relationship with his kid. So the whole yeah. film... And uh, Lieutenant Dan from from the army as well. So all all those things in his life that guide him are these relationships. But there's one point in the film where he does something that doesn't really have to do with any of the people directly. Um, that running. The running. Um, mm. At at one point he just gets up and starts running, and he doesn't. He even in the story he just he says he doesn't really know why he started running he just started running, yeah. um, and it's the one time where it kind of diverges from his relationships to every person, but in a weird way it's something that was uh, necessary because it was maybe him just exercising all the stuff um, he had going on. Yeah, I was gonna say, to me it almost feels really relevant because it, it, when you look at it through the lens of relationships. The entire time he's having these relationships, and then right before the running, he doesn't have any of them. You know, he's alone, he's mowing his lawn, he's taking care of the church or whatever, and he's kind of lost without these relationships. So what does he do? And that's what fills the void of these relationships to a point where when he stops running, he's like, I, I think I'll go home now. That's him, like, saying, okay, I've exercised these things within me and going back, right? Mm-hmm. And and when he does go home, there are people there to meet him, and everything kind of starts again. Mm-hmm. But um, if you you know if you're reading that in a script, or if you just had that scene kind of pointed out to you, I think most a lot of people might say, "Oh, what's what's this running scene? It just goes on, and he's running, and it doesn't really mean mm-hmm. anything." And it's easy to kind of like it would be easy to kind of like brush it off, or it's like it doesn't really do anything for the story but when you see it in the film it kind of feels really important because um, it's almost, yeah, it's almost yeah, like yeah. his relationship with himself like a personal moment there the the one time where you get him just kind of on his own doing something and not really um, having some sort of deep connection with another person but it's an idea mm-hmm. that they pushed and they had all these little things you know the t-shirts and people coming up with bumper stickers and him running like shore to shore and like the news following him. <laughs> it all could seem like, what's the point of all of this? But they really pushed the idea to the point where, you know, it, it, it took him to like the middle of nowhere and then he's like, I'm done with running. Um, yep. So there's, there's an example of like really going for an idea and, and pushing it, but ultimately it's still fitting in the movie and also being very important to to kind of how his character um, kind of finds peace in a way, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And one interesting side note of that is, in my opinion, like other than what we just talked about, the biggest reason that that scene works, or sequence even, is just because it's so much fucking fun. Like if they didn't have that guy running up beside him, the t-shirt guy, and being like, you stepped in that big pile of shit. Yeah. <laughs> that, that whole interaction. Like, if that sequence was boring, it would have been cut no problem. So if you're doing something kind of 
a one-off in your movie that almost doesn't fit but weirdly does you got to make sure it's really interesting and in that case really really fun in order for it to work and for it to keep your attention or even increase your attention yeah 100 percent. i think in forrest gump whether you like the movie or not or think it's cheesy or not i always enjoy watching it and by the time i get to the end of it i'm like yeah that was all tied together really tight nothing felt mm-hmm. like it was excessive so yeah i agree that's easily one of my favorite movies of all time i remember a buddy of mine uh once told me that his mom didn't like forrest gump mm-hmm. and i was like so how does it feel to be born from a heartless bitch <laughs> <laughs> actually uh, uh one of uh someone pretty close to me recently said he didn't like forrest gump mm-hmm. and uh, there was a group of us the whole room fell silent we were just like what and then he tried to defend himself, and it was just us being like, no, 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 you are wrong on this one, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, i got to watch Forrest Gump now. In their defense, they don't have to like it. No, they don't. They don't. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah but... All right, well, yeah. I think that's a pretty um, full episode. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Do you have any kind of final closing thoughts on it? Uh, I think... You know, when when you have these, well, to specify, not not when you have an idea for a movie as a whole. I think you still have to do a lot of work in developing that before you really oh, go yeah. into it. But when you have like little quirky things you want to put into your film, or little like side scenes that you want to add to your movie that that are related to something that just interests you, or is a part of a, a character moment that you think will be relevant even though it doesn't seem like it at the moment I say go all the way with them and really try them to see which version works or to see if you've tried 10 versions and they all don't work because right now Mm -hmm. with the scene I'm writing um, two characters are supposed to meet at a place and I've written it three times three different ways and I don't like any of them and I'm going to go back and rewrite the scene again and try different things and add different ideas until like, I'm happy with it. Because at this point in the, in the story, these characters have to meet. And if they don't meet, mm-hmm. then my story's at a standstill. So it's one of those moments where you just have to keep pushing and, and taking it in whichever direction it feels like it wants to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to read it when you finish it, man. It'll be another six years. <laughs> well, even still, in six years, I'm going to read the shit out of that. Uh, That's a pretty full episode. We'll cut it here. Uh, it's brought to you by Acast. We know the name of it now. Yep. A.K.A. as Latif refers to it, Podcast Daddy. Yes, which they are. So we'd, we'd like to thank the Supreme Leader for having us once more. Thank you. And yeah. Until next week. See you later, guys. Alright. Alright. And I'm cutting now.